everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. What an absolute thrilling weekend for college softball. Major upsets, some major near upsets, and a thriller of an NCAA regional in Baton Rouge. As the Louisiana Raging Cajuns get over the hump, Jerry Glasgow gets over the hump. And the Cajuns take down their rival Tigers inside Tiger Park in the deciding game of the Baton Rouge Regional to punch their ticket to the Super Regionals for the first time since 2016. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of things for us to get to on this Monday edition of RP3 and Company. Woo! It's going to be a workout this morning. We're going to power through. It's like it's going to be like leg day for you here because we got a lot to get to. Of course, joining me inside the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette is the producer extraordinaire, Dice, Dawson. I said Dyson. It's already started off poorly. <laughs> Dawson Iserlow. As we have a jam-packed three hours for you. Only one guest today. That's Jeff Player, Mo from Tiger Rag Radio. We'll have him at his normal slot of 7.30. The rest of the time, we are going to be recapping what was an absolute monster weekend. We're going to get to the Houston Astros. By the way, they just keep winning. They just find a way to keep on winning. We're going to touch on college baseball conference tournaments are set. LSU. UL and McNeese all know where they're going to be headed. All know what their seed is and all know what the challenges are that are in front of them. We're going to dive into the PGA Championship. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got thoughts about Brooksy winning. By the way, Dalton and I said, watch out. Cupcake's going to be one of those guys this past weekend. Sure enough, he was. We'll dive into the PGA Championship. We'll, of course, talk NBA playoffs. We have not one but two teams on the brink of elimination already. Sure does feel like we're going to get Denver versus Miami in the NBA Finals. Who had that on their bingo card? No one. And, of course, we'll take your phone calls. Game hotline is going to be wide open this morning. 337-706-0111. Cajuns put themselves in a tough spot. They had to go through the tough way. They win their opener against Omaha on Friday. Turn around, lose to LSU, have to play a second game on Saturday, just advance to Sunday. 
And they do so, and when they arrive on Sunday, they have to win not one, but two games. LSU's in the driver's seat, coming out of the winner's bracket of the Baton Rouge Regional. Some high drama in game number one, but the Cajuns prevail. They force a deciding game seven of the original. And this is a... I described this game the best way I could, Dawson, the final game of the Baton Rouge Regional, a 9-8 comeback victory for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns as a game that was drunk. I, first of all, you know both staffs were spent. It's one of those things where you just kind of feel it like pitching is not going to be a factor. Like it, 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 They're tired, and the bats just wake up. And you know that you're going to have to out-hit the other team to win the ball game. Like You just felt that, especially in Game 2. You just felt well, it. And with all that being said, a defensive miscue leads to five runs for the UL in the first inning, and then a defensive oh. miscue leads to six runs for LSU. And so, really, you still could have had a pretty low-scoring game if you made all the plays defensively. So that was what was interesting to me. And the funny, the pitching was what it was, but like, we didn't see that much of Ali Capone at all in this tournament out of LSU, and we didn't see that much of it Megan Shorman at all, just kind of the nope. way it worked out. But so I don't even know if it was as much fatigue from the pitching staffs as much as it was just really high-level competitive softball where something had to give. And so you had that on each side. I mean, the first game was already insane at the end there with the foul ball, which, I mean, I, I think it was clearly foul, right? Georgia Clark's uh, potential three-run home run to tie the game in the bottom of the seventh inning uh, or the top of the seventh. Whoever the home team is in regionals, I just it just throws me off completely. I, I can't get used to that. But either way, you have this insane emotional ending to that last game, right? That's like a really tough way to pivot one way or the other because it felt like LSU would have had, obviously had all the momentum tying that game up and creating a different scenario, but they don't. Then you come back and you start the next game, and the Cajuns score six runs in the first inning. So like a complete momentum shift there from what would have been the, the game-tying home run. Only – two hits and three walks and you felt it we were part of a group text um someone chimed in with some um some some dad knowledge and that person was not someone who's a dad that person was Dawson as someone else on the group thread was getting a little uh ahead of himself Unbelievable. (laughs) We won't won't name names, but Dawson was Papa Bear. Already, boom, instantly. The first inning of a softball game. We're not talking about scenarios after the game. As we found out, you can't even do that in the seventh inning with a six-run lead, which we'll get to. Oh, we'll get to that. So, Cajuns, you're right. They take all the momentum. At the end of the game where Clark's home run in the first game is ruled foul, and that was the correct call. You slow down the replay. It's the correct call. And Cajuns win. They force another game. And then they just jump out, and you're like, wow. But we've seen this story before. We've seen these two teams battle it out in regionals before, and we knew that LSU was not going to go away quietly. Like, like you just knew right. it, and I and I actually said to my dad when that moment happened, and they started, and they went out to pitch the bottom of the first. I said it's actually really tough to be in that situation. That obviously you want to be up six nothing. That's a better scenario than a tie game, but 
it's so tough to have to go out then with 21 outs to get, right? Because you have that lead in the first inning. Whereas if you take that six, if you score that six spot in the third or fourth inning, you can kind of see the finish line. Correct. But to go out and, and now, okay, we're up 6 nothing, but we still have to pitch an entire game here. Defensively, that's tough to deal with, in my opinion. And so I think you kind of saw some of that. Although Carly Heath came out and did what she had to do, and I thought it was an interesting move by Coach Glasgow. I would, I would also be interested to hear, and maybe you know we, we get a chance to ask him this at some point this week. Was that planned, or was was Carly Heath? Was that a decision that was made once they took the lead? I don't know if he mentioned that after the game or not, but like that was interesting because Carly throws strikes and she attacks hitters, and so I think it was a plan to try yeah. to kind of get steal some outs, so to speak, before you had to go to Landry, Shorman, Lamb, and or which ended up being Riasetto. But then what ends up happening is, of course, a couple of defensive miscues, which the Cajuns, like, they were not sharp at all defensively in this tournament, which, hey, that's part of what's been the story for this team, right? However, they've they sacrificed the defense this season for bats. And they've made some, like, it's been give and take, though, right? Because you play Sissy Vasquez, and she actually made, I mean, she was rock solid at second base. So she makes a few huge plays for you. But then, yeah, you have a couple instances where there's some defensive switching around and Sophie Piscos was clearly banged up in that last game so he's trying to move her around like there was a lot of moving piece again we don't even have enough time to go into all the moving pieces that were this regional um, especially that last game they won the game in spite of committing five errors like yeah. th- think think about that they were sloppy defensively the entire regional but the championship game they commit five errors and still find a way to win the game like that's just when we say it was crazy, it was a drunk game. That's what we mean because it was ridiculous. Because Clark gets herself another home run. First of all, why even pitch to her? I'm not really for sure. It worked out; they won. But I'm like, well, there's also why a, would you pitch to her at all? I mean, the solo homer, you 100 pitched to her, and I kept saying that. Actually, I said it. That's another thing I was saying throughout the game. You get Pleasance to end the previous inning, and that's enormous because, A, you faced Pleasance with nobody on and two outs, and then you now get to face Clark Correct. with nobody on, nobody out to start an inning. So she hits a homer, and that's fine because it's a solo homer. So I think that's the perfect way to come up. The issues that arose were when you kept facing Pleasance and Clark in RBI situations, which happened a lot, and I don't think you'll ever get them out in those situations as long as I'm alive. So <laughs> you found a way to overcome that. But, yeah, you, it was it was a difficult situation to navigate and then the other fact is else you had a couple of homers from girls down towards the bottom of the order early in the regional so that made you kind of scared to pitch to somebody in the bottom of the order as well tigers scored the six unearned runs in the third which is just brutal and you're just like oh you just you're like really this is how it's going to go down you're going to lose because of errors you're going to give up your lead. And then LSU adds the insurance run. You're talking about Pleasance. She drives in that single. That brings in an insurance run. But Heath comes up big when she blasts her 16th home run of the season and did so, what, right to dead center almost? Just. And that makes it eight to seven. And then trailing 8-7, heading into the seventh. That happened, yeah. I So, Allred and Heath lead off the inning with back-to-back singles. And they're moving into scoring position on Langelier's sacrifice bunt. 
So now you got runners on second and third, only one out. And you're going, okay. And then she Howard scores the tying run on a pass ball on an intentional walk. Yeah, how about the softball rules committee not changing the intentional walk rule, which I love, by the way, like make them throw pitches. And like, I don't know what it is, but I saw this. I saw and I watched a lot of softball this weekend, not only in the Baton Rouge regional, but across the country. Pitchers can't throw intentional walk pitches in softball. And of course, again, like I was thinking about this in baseball, this is no longer a thing, right? You just point to first base at almost all levels. I mean, that's how it's been in high school for a long time. They moved that in the major leagues. The motion is different for softball, right? So I think that's part part of the problem is that. And is it also walking, plus it's not really part of the game? I was going to say, is it a mental thing where how many times throughout the regular season do you intentionally walk people, and how many times do you have to then go to it in the postseason? But yeah, um, Sidney Burzon did not look very comfortable intentionally walking anyone in the last inning, and so yeah, you get the pass ball. That ties the game. which That ties the game. Yeah. And then they, they, they still, which at that point I thought, well, now maybe they're going to pitch to her. I don't know. They, they still try to intentionally walk her. There's a couple called strikes, which the one that tied the game was a call to strike, apparently, which I didn't realize until I, afterwards because so much is happening on that play. So it's a 2-2 count now, and they're still trying to walk her, supposedly. Now, I'm interested to hear you. So Jordan Campbell hits a single on, on intentionally walk pitch, supposedly, right? Yep. And, and Gave that, him the lead. That gives him the lead. Yeah. I'm not convinced now anymore that that was an intentional walk pitch anymore. I know that the catcher's standing up, but she goes right back down into a squat. I almost wonder if it was like, we're going to, now that it's a 2 2 count, we're, we're going to set up intentional walk and try and get her out. But the more I looked at it, I'm still on, I still don't know. I'd have to hear it from her whether they, whether they changed the plan or not. I, she might have just thrown a mistake pitch. And how about Jordan Campbell, like, to be ready in that moment? And I get the first couple that were over the plate, so you're, you're then locked in, but like, She's sitting on it and she crushes it. I mean, it was it was an unbelievable turn of events. I never have seen a game like that with so much momentum going back and forth. And the the other thing that's going going to stand out to me uh, about this is how evenly matched the Raging Cajuns were as the two seed as they were with the host team. Now, familiarity has a lot to do with that. They play each other twice. They've played each other so many times in the postseason. They know each other. The Cajuns know Tiger Park probably better than any other park they've ever played in, not named Lampson. So that all is a contributing factor. But there wasn't that much of a difference between LSU being a host team and the Cajuns. And, yeah. and the RPI would suggest as much. Correct. And what was great about the weekend, and look, I, I don't have a rooting interest, but for this team to find a way to win the regional, they hadn't been to the Super since 2016. That monkey was on Jerry's back. It was on this program's back. It was what was keeping them from maybe getting the respect that they deserved. You and I discussed this on the air. To do it on the road, and I know it's only a short 45-minute trip across the basin. I get all that. But to get over that hurdle and to do so in dramatic fashion, Game 7, Sunday of a regional type of fashion, is 
just from a storytelling point of view, magnificent. Like it's just you couldn't write it better if you tried. You get over your rival, the one that has prevented you from postseason success in recent years. You do so in their house when you probably should have hosted an NCAA regional and you got disrespected and didn't get one. And it's a back-and-forth affair and your pitchers are not great and you commit five errors and craziness happens where a home run call for them that would have tied the game and the game one is ruled foul and you make a great catch out of bounds. There's so many different little things that, and, oh, they got over the hump. Like, they yeah. they got over the hump. And and I'll try and be quick here because I know we're coming up on a timeout, but there was a couple of things. Number one, uh, I still am in favor of hosting no matter what, and I, I texted you in foot jokingly because UCLA went out 0-2 in their regional, but what oh. was absolutely petrified at the thought of going to UCLA. But anyway, that's separate. Um the other thing is just the, the the fact that it's funny how these narratives and and like how it's sports like it's the crew and I I tweeted something later on in the night and, and we're gonna get to the other you know big softball uh, regional that had to do with the Louisiana team here but it's just crazy how I'm you're sitting there thinking in the top of the seventh and my and I let my mind wander because I don't have to be a competitor anymore on the field and, and worrying about the next play but thinking well this is another year another missed opportunity another tough loss at this time a big lead that evaporates. Just, just all the nightmares that have been Jerry Glasgow's team's shortcomings over the past five or six years, and they're all come true again. And like, just how how do you come back from this next year? All those thoughts, and in the matter of you know five to seven minutes of fluky, crazy softball with a couple of big hits from the Cajuns themselves, that's all flipped upside down. And you go to the bottom of the inning, and Langoliers makes the play of the year, and you get out of the jam with a with a pop up to left, and it's the freshman Riasetto, and all of a sudden, all that's gone away, right? And that's just sports. There's so many scenarios where we're still where we're sitting here right now talking about they just can't get over the hump in Baton Rouge, right? Another year, another Baton Rouge regional meltdown, and the Tigers are going on, but that's not what happened, and that's that's the beauty of sports, right? How that flips within an instant, and so I just kept thinking of that throughout the the seventh inning last night, and. And here we are. And uh, it looked not only like the Cajuns were going to win a regional, but it looked like they were going to host one for a bit. Uh, But that didn't work out, and we'll discuss why after we come back from this break. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I thought uh, we got got out to a real good lead in the first game, I mean the first inning, and Got up 6-0, and you know, anytime you score that early, you know they're going to make a run. And they did. They did what great teams do. They made their run, and they, they got the lead 7-6, and I'm just trying to let the pace uh, just keep it calm in the dugout. I felt really good about our kids coming back. At that point, we only had three hits, and we were beneficiary of some walks and timely hits early, a huge grand slam by Jordan. So I knew we had more hits on, and I remember saying uh, we had three hits, and I said, what we got to do, we got three innings left, Let's make that three a nine. I told the girls, get, let's get that three to nine. We get nine hits, we'll win the game. That's kind of a, a benchmark we've used all year. Nine hits, we'll win. 
and uh, timely hits. And then I thought the seventh inning, you know, uh, Lauren leading off, I said, look, don't try to be a hero. Just you get a good pitch, you'll get a good hit. You get a good hit, we'll get we'll get good results, and we'll win the game. And uh, that was always said. She got a great pitch, got a hit, another great hit by what caught a heat. And then uh, Jordan did her thing and put us ahead for the win. And then a tremendous effort by our pitching staff to have each other's back and just string it together. And Chloe Riasetto, freshman, really pitched good, not just today, but the, the both days in this tournament and made a huge uh, impact. So that kind of how the last game went in my mind. Raging Cajun softball coach Jerry Glasgow there talking, giving his thoughts on beating LSU. You know, the thing that also stood out to me about what happened yesterday. In years past, we've seen this happen where things start going wrong and it's pretty much a wrap for the Cajuns. You didn't see that yesterday. In either game, by the way. You didn't see them rattled. You didn't see them nervous. And yeah, they had the five errors. I don't think that was nerves. It was just more of lack of execution. And even when things went wrong yesterday when they gave up the early lead, when they had the all the unearned runs, they didn't seem to be nervous. And we've seen Jerry's teams in the past kind of be nervous like him in these moments, and it's cost them. But they weren't that way yesterday. It was not like a switch went off, Dawson, but more like they just kind of grew into their own. Right, if that makes any sense, it was more of, okay, we got this. I I always pay attention very closely to how seniors perform mm-hmm. in situations and moments like this. And look, it's not to pile on at LSU because Georgia Clark had an incredible career there, but like she had a moment that you just don't expect a senior to have when she gets tossed, and it was it was the second instance of that. Um, well, where, she talked trash to the ump while rounding the bases right, early, early in the game, and then she does it again. Which I mean, look, the second, the first call though, I, I don't even know why because it was foul. I mean, but the second call, yeah, it was a bad call. I don't know why else you didn't challenge that, by the way, because you saw the Cajuns challenge a similar play and and get it overturned. I guess maybe they were out of challenges at that point or whatever. But um, you know, I, I thought that was. But then on the other hand, like Carly Heath, that homer that cuts it to eight seven in the sixth inning is enormous, huge. And it was because look, LSU Burzon, which you could also talk about the the decision to stick with Burzon in that first inning, which I think you know at the time I was going, man, they're leaving her out there. But then she settles in and she cruises for the next mm-hmm. four or five innings, and she was cruising at that point. So for Carly to hit that solo shot to kind of get it back to within one, and again, whenever it's such a big difference between the difference between being four runs down or three runs down or two runs down or one run down, like each run in that. When you're one run down, you, you feel like anything can happen, right? And that was huge from Carly Heath, and she got back in the dugout and fired everybody up. And I think that's the moment that started to make the Cajuns, the rest of that team, feel like, okay, we're in this game. Like, okay, we, we, yeah. we gave up eight consecutive runs. We were down by two, but here we are. And so Carly hits the homer, and I thought that settled things down, and that sets up then the seventh inning. And there's a couple of great defensive plays that keep it at a one-run game. Um, but I thought that was huge. And Carly has been so big for them all year, and she was again. And she talked about afterwards how important it was and what they were able to do. And what they were able to do in the game yesterday 
was they remained in the moment. Many times during the game, uh, Coach Glasgow and other coaches came up to us and just like stay in the moment, stay yourself. I told Laura before her last at bat, I was like, be you, be yourself. Don't, don't try to be big right now, just be yourself, get on base, and we'll follow you the rest of the way. So I think that helps a lot, especially for the younger girls. That This is their first time ever being here, and I just think that helped a lot for them to stay in the moment. They have a lot of players that, look, this whole class has never experienced winning a regional, right? And they've experienced heartbreak in the regional. And to finally be able to bust through and to have the kind of confidence to be able to do that is amazing because this is not a team laden with a ton of seniors, so that's a good sign for things to come, for years to come, that you're able to break through like they did this year and get to the Supers. And now you know what it takes, right? And the younger players know what it takes. And that is huge for a program. It just is. Yeah, and I don't mean to be dramatic, but like Lauren Allred, I see a little Jordan Alvarez in her swing. I made that comment <laughs> yesterday. A little bit. Not She's not Jordan Alvarez, but I see a little Jordan in her swing. But again... <laughs> That moment where she comes up to lead off the bottom or the top half of the seventh inning, yeah, top half. I can't do the home team. Well, it, first of all, does not make any sense if if you if you force a well, deciding and, game? Why are you the home team? For, I, I just well, I never understood that. So for whatever reason, and I guess I get why they do it. It's about consecutively being the road team early on in the regional. So sometimes okay. the way it works out is if the three seed move, which we saw with McNeese, if the three seed moves on. Then the you know they've already played that second and McNeese happened to have played the second game as the home team so then it's like consecutive games and so they ended up being the home team second not first it's it's a mess but it is it is uh, Lauren Allred leads off the seventh inning with a single and like that's such a big moment for a freshman to come in and not and and it's so tempting to just try and hit a solo homer right and you're typically not going to be very successful when you do that but she stays within it. Hits a little base hit the left field. She's able to use the whole field when she hits. It's incredible for what she's doing as a freshman who, again, didn't play the whole first month of the season. Um, and then Carly follows that up. Again, Carly, like, not being too big for that moment. Base hit to right field. We're not going. She's not trying to hit the homer, which she just homered in her last at bat. Like, staying within yourself in those moments, that sets up LSU making some mental mistakes and kind of losing that game on their own. And then Jordan Campbell coming up huge again. Like, I think those are, are, are little moments where I think we've seen Cajun's team in the past not handle it as well, and this group did the whole this, way. This group handled themselves and handled the moment and handled the pressure that comes with that moment. And they proved to be the one better equipped to do that, and they are your Baton Rouge Regional winners. And now they'll head over to the Supers. And for about an hour and a half it looked like it was going to be the Louisiana Raging Cajuns hosting an NCAA Super Regional in Lafayette because McNeese had a national seed and the host of the Seattle Regional on the ropes until the seventh inning and then everything went wrong a brutal loss for the Big Knees Cowgirls. We'll talk about that next coming up right here on the game. 
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Pitch really got us to a pretty good spot. You know, we were able to put some, some runs up. And felt, felt like we you know, won six innings. We got to play seven. And, um, but all in all, you know, it's been a growing experience for our, for our team. And just proud of our kids. I thought they played extremely hard and bringing every fight. Uh, being the consistent all year long. They've answered bail consistently for us. I couldn't be more proud of a group of young people. That, that actually made me better this year. And, and that's kind of the message I, I got to stick to is my, my kids work their butts off and, and like everybody else in the country, but I'm just proud of the way they stick together, what they've done. And uh, they taught me more about life this year than I've ever thought I could learn from a group of young people. That's McNeese longtime softball skipper James Landrino. Afterwards, as McNeese... There, look, there's no nice way of saying it. They they collapsed in the seventh inning. They were three outs away from not only winning their first ever NCAA regional, winning the Southland Conference first ever NCAA regional. They actually became the first team ever to force a game seven at an NCAA regional last year, they played in the early game and lost to Northwestern when they were up there at the Evanston regional. Uh, Absolutely brutal way of having your season end. Two scoreless innings. Minis gets on the scoreboard first and the third. And they got contributions across the board at the dish. Brooke Otto, Alyssa Seneca, Reese Rena, uh, all of them, all of them stepped up for the Cowgirls in the night game out in Washington. Chloe Gomez, they just kept pouring it on. Corinne Poncho had a huge double down the left field line to play two more runs. McNeese added to its lead in the bottom of the fourth as Otto drove in Torres with a double to left center field. The Cowboys added to their lead again in the fifth. They entered the seventh inning with a six to nothing advantage. Six to nothing. And Ashley Vallejo was magnificent for six innings. She was pitching a shutout. She'd only given up two hits through the first six. Had struck out four. And we're, we're talking about it during uh, on our text thread, our group text. I'd already written the story. Just ready to publish. And then came the seventh inning. And then came the seventh inning. And you just said... And I sent out a text to the group, and I said, here comes the Huskies. And they 
were just unrelenting. Like, like, like you just watched it and you go, oh no. Like you, you just saw it. It's, it's a hit and then it's a double that brings in a run. And then two batters later, Raleigh Holtorf brings in two more. And just like that, it's a 6-3 game. And you're thinking, okay, is Landry going to leave her in? I get why it's a tough spot to be in because she was magnificent for six innings. And you felt like, yeah, you gave up a couple runs here, but you're going to, she can get us out of this jam. She's one of our aces. She's, she can do it. You want to believe in your, your, your player here. But man, you felt like maybe she should have been pulled. You, you felt that way, right? You, you, you just did. And I thought she was going to get pulled after she walked the next hitter because she she put a she put a a, a a husky on the base path that she didn't need to. It wasn't a hit. It was, I think it was only like a five pitch walk too, if I remember right. But then it was a fielder's choice to back to back hitters, and then boom, Sammy Reynolds comes up, tied ball game, double to left center. Just like that. Yeah, when she got the second out, too, uh, I, I get why he was going with her. And I actually had already been thinking of the idea of asking Coach Landrino at some point, like, what made him stick with Vallejo and be so confident in her if she were to get out of that jam, right? And and she didn't, and it's just it's just really difficult at that point. Um, it, it also, look, it was a weird where, where the rain starts. And, like, see, I don't know, Seattle, they, they're used to rain. They summon the rain or, or something like that, and it started to rally because you saw the rain start. And But I will say this, and we say collapse, and I think that is, you know, you do have to use that word, and, like, that's the lead that, that you know, it's just that's not something that happens. But, like, they didn't completely toss it around. There were a couple plays. The ground ball to short, you certainly thought she had a chance to make the play at first, and she tried to go to second, and it was no way she was getting her. And then a couple of balls in the outfield that kind of scooted past. But it wasn't like, you know, routine, you know, E6, E4. No. Like, it wasn't like that. It was a lot of hits. Like, Washington strung together. And as, as held down as Washington had been in this whole regional, even the game they beat McNeese in the 1-0 game, they weren't dominant offensively. Um, they weren't they weren't dominant against McNeese any what these teams had played what four times going into this last game because of the regular season matchup. They played once in the regular season and then you played three times. So yeah. th- this was the fourth time these teams had played and Washington hadn't strung together an inning like this against McNeese all season. Like and 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 it all comes unraveled in in the seventh inning. It was look and and I had to uh, like I, I I called LSUE on on Friday losing their regional championship game. There were a lot of tears on the field afterwards. And a lot of guys who you know, aren't going to play with each other anymore, and it was tough to swallow for them, and it's a different perspective, right? They were a team that felt like they were going to win that regional. They were the favorites coming in, whereas McNeese is this team that, you know, they don't have tons of expectations heading up to Seattle, but then they put themselves in a position where they're now the favorite within the inning itself, right? And and But we talked about it before. We said that's a winnable regional. Yeah, no, look, they, for, they had for, an opportunity. For, for, for McNeese, a lot of the regionals were winnable for the teams that weren't hosting. And they bring in Tate, and the first batter she faces is Madison Husky, who, yes, plays for the Washington Huskies. Why wouldn't she? And then she gives up a double to center field. Boom. And just like that, it's 7-6. And then you think, okay, can McNeese somehow find a way 
to bounce back? Can they somehow force extra innings here after just having a six-run lead evaporate in front of them? And yeah, Rena gets on, leads oh, off with an, a single. An incredible at-bat from Reese Rainer, by the way. Incredible at-bat to get on and to kind of settle the nerves down. But then Washington made some big pitches. Gomez strikes out. Poncho lines out. Boom, boom, quick. Two outs. And then Phillips gets the fielder's choice, but they get the the force out instead. And it's, it's ball game. It's, it's, it's ball game. And a great season, another 40-win season for them. They made such strides last year, doing the best they had ever done at an NCAA regional there in Evingston, and they eclipsed that this year. So we try not to take away from that because they became the first Southland Conference team to even force a Game 7 at a regional. And they were literally three outs away from winning a regional for the first time in program history and the first time for a Southland Conference school. So we can't take that away. But it is an absolute brutal way of losing a regional like that. And once it got to three, once it was six to three, you and I were texting and we're like, oh no. Like, it's a tough spot and we don't want to be critical of Coach Landrino. But then you were like, oh, should they make a pitching change now? Because something had changed. Like, in it, it, she was frustrating them. You and I were talking about how magnificent her pitching performance was. And the seventh inning, it was gone. It was gone. And she was probably tired, or Washington finally, after having so many at-bats against McNeese's pitching all weekend, finally figured out how to how to start getting hits. Whatever it was, the rain, whatever it was, you just felt it. When they made it 6-3, to three, you were like, oh no. You're just like, oh no. You just felt it. Yeah, and, and, I, and I, look, I've gone back and forth on this. I, I, I said during the inning, I was watching the game with my dad, I said during the inning, man, I'd go to Tate, I'd go to Tate. But the more I think about it, too, look, the other funny thing is we had multiple conversations about decisions that Coach Glasgow and Coach Torina made where my dad and I went back and forth on, well, I'd have done this, and then Sidney Burzon was an example. My dad was like, I don't know why she's leaving her out there. And then she settled in and went five, six innings, right, where she, where she looked great. And my dad was like, well, you know, she knows her team better than I do, obviously. And so I have that same kind of thought. Look, if, 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 if one of those balls finds a glove, which a couple of them were close to, we're not talking about any of that today. We're talking about how great it was that Vallejo got it done and McNeese is headed to Lafayette so correct in the end I, I don't think I'm gonna end up second guessing him I no, it's just it's just tough and, and it, it's the it's the type of heartbreak in a loss the only the only situations I can really think of that are that similar the Minneapolis I mean not the well the Minneapolis miracle one for the Saints and of course uh the no call the games were were like it's it's in hand and I think maybe the Minneapolis miracle is a better example right because it is in hand it is everyone is already making their plans for next weekend right where are we where are we watching the game next week Saints are headed back to the NFC Championship. I had people reaching out to me oh, during man. that game. Hey, where? What's the best hotel that I can stay in to come over for the Super Region? Yeah, I mean it's done. Like it's and again, and I don't even fault people. And like in the first inning, I told the person who had made a comment. I said that's ridiculous. It's first inning. I wouldn't have even faulted somebody in the seventh inning when it's six nothing and they get the first couple outs of the inning. Well, the first out and then the second out takes some longer time to get. I wouldn't have even faulted people to be like, yeah, it's six nothing. Like we're going. Like what's what's the plan next week? Obviously, the players can't think that way, and I think that's also always a caveat. Like it's, it's they they shouldn't have been, and maybe they were. Maybe that's part of it, but it's just an absolutely brutal way to end, and, and something just, that's just gonna be tough to come back from. 
We got to take a timeout. When we return, we will unveil our poll question of the day and get to some early comments. That's all next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, everyone is apparently part of the game family. Brother, 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 brother. Seriously, how many brothers does Ray have? Good morning to you, brother. Back to Ray and all of his brothers right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. What was the craziest thing from the weekend? Was it the Cajuns come back in BR? Was it the Cowgirls collapse in Washington? Was it Block's top 15 performance at the PGA Championship? The club pro who, by the way, dunked in a hole in one, which was magnificent. Broke the cup, actually. Or was it other? What was the craziest thing from the weekend? 38% of you say McNeese's loss to the Huskies in the Seattle Regional. 32% of you say Cajuns comeback win in Baton Rouge. 24% say Block's top 15 performance at the PGA Championship, which we'll get to more to later. And 6% of you say other. Let's get to some quick comments while we have a moment. Ralph says Block's finish. Three, uh, three best ever by Club Pro and best in 35 years. Not sure if it's the craziest, but the most impressive in my Humble opinion. That being said, congrats to Coach Glasgow and the Lady Cajuns. Legit shot to the World Series. That's a winnable Super Regional against Washington for sure. Ton says the fact that Boston, as heavily favored as they were, is about to get booted while Lakers can't seem to get it together, even with the refs' purple and yellow glasses. Yeah, uh, for the, the, the crowd that wanted to see those two play each other, eh, it does not look promising. Steve says, Block is a club pro who had an unbelievable week in Rochester. It would be like the last man on the bench in basketball scoring 50 in an NBA Finals game. JPK, though, said, McNeese in the last inning. I really wanted to look away, but I couldn't. It was brutal. Keep those comments coming. Leave them on Facebook and Twitter. Keep those votes coming as well on our poll question of the day. What was the craziest thing from the weekend? And we'll update it and share it throughout the the rest of today's show. Hour number one is in the books. Hour number two, coming up right here on the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number two has arrived here in RP3 and company. So much to get to on this Monday edition of the show typically we have at least two sometimes three guests but 
with so much going on over the weekend, D'Lo and I collaborated early yesterday. It was early in the afternoon, early in the evening, rather, where we're like, um, yeah, tomorrow's just a one guest kind of show. Like, because there's so much to get to. And we're going to tackle some more of those topics this hour. The conference tournaments for the SEC, Sunbelt, and Southland have been set. What do we make of the brackets and how they were placed for the Tigers, the Cajuns, and the Cowboys? I don't feel great, (laughs) by the way, on how that ended up. And we'll dive into that this hour. We'll also be talking with Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio. That'll be coming up as well. But we got to still talk about softball. What a day it was. What a weekend it was for college softball. And the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, Jerry Glasgow, they get over the hump. And they do so by making the short trip across the basin and vanquishing the rival in dramatic fashion. The first game of the day was dramatic. Were Clark's home run, rightfully so. Once again, I don't have a dog in this this fight, okay? Not an LSU grad, not a UL grad, don't root for either team. Just, you know, I'm just here living in the area. It was the right call. It was foul. But you have a sensational catch. The Cajuns win that game, and then they start off so strong in game number two. But then LSU storms back. And you're like, whoa. And it's back and forth, back and forth. LSU has a lead. Clark gets tossed. And look, she probably should have been tossed earlier when she talked junk to the ump while she was rounding the bases. Like, come on now. Like, really? What are you doing? You're in a regional. What are you, why are you talking trash to the ump and pointing to the ump? So they were already, she was already kind of on a short leash, so to speak. And then she decided to argue a call, and that was it. Now, would I have liked to have seen her continue to play? Of course. She's one of the best players on the field. But there are rules. And if you crawl, you know, you break those rules and you start jawing at the crew like you did earlier, um, you can't be stunned when you get tossed. Like, let's just be real for a second. Yeah, and I think quickly worth noting, she's a designated player in that game, so she wouldn't have played the field and then her spot never came back up. But if that game's tied and goes to extras and they get back to her spot in the lineup, I mean, that's a huge spot that she'd have potentially been hurting her team by not being there in the lineup. So Correct. But the Cajuns find a way. A thrilling regional. They come out on top. They finally get over the hump, advance to the Super Regionals for the first time since 2016. And a magnificent breakout, breakthrough season for Jerry Glasgow and the Raging Cajun softball program. While McNeese suffers just a brutal way of losing. Cowgirls were three outs away for winning their first ever NCAA regional and winning the first ever regional for the Southland Conference. 
three outs away with a six-run lead. And it all falls apart in the seventh inning there in Seattle as national seed and host Washington storms back in the final inning to win the game and win the regional. And McNeese is going to have a huge, huge bitter taste in their mouth for a long time. A brutal way to end their weekend. Let's head out to the game hotline. Welcome on Doug to the show. Doug, good morning to you, brother. How are you this morning, my friend? Oh, I'm good, Ray. I'm good. Man, this past weekend is a good example of, for me, it's why I love softball, man. It it was great. It was a great weekend. I mean, I know it was a long plane ride back for McNeese, the Cowgirls, but uh, look, they fought hard this past weekend. They really did, and they almost took it. That would have been sweet to have the Cajuns and the, uh, the Cowgirls in a Super Regional, man. Wow, that would have been fantastic. And people talk about old school fans were talking to me about this. They're like, everyone you know, talks about the LSU-UL rivalry in softball. Well, right. you go back for the old timers. <laughs> McNeese. And UL is salty for a whole lot of folks in Southwest Louisiana. Mm-hmm. That's that right. would That's have right. been. I, I oh, imagine, yeah. imagine you have the regional in Baton Rouge between LSU and UL, and then we'd have the supers between UL and McNeese. Uh, it just would have been magnificent, but unfortunately, it doesn't end up that way, Doug. But I will say this. The Cajuns, I like their chances to go up to Seattle and win that Super Regional. I just do. Hey, Ray. Ray, look, I like their chances in Baton Rouge. I know you and uh, Dawson were talking about this Friday. You know, if y'all thought that the Cajuns had a chance to go there and beat uh, the the Lady Tigers and stuff, I know Dawson really wanted to lean towards the the Lady Cajuns. I know he did. But he picked the Tigers. But I I just felt in my heart, man, I almost called y'all in, too. Uh, I felt like the, the Lady Cajuns could go in there and take that region. I, look, the Tigers just haven't been the same team like they were last year. Last year they had the three big boppers with uh, Sinceri, Pleasance, and, and uh, Clark. But uh, they didn't have Sinceri this year. And then, then Taylor Pleasance uh, was injured midway through the season. Uh, she's just now starting to come back a little bit, so – and then losing that first game to Ole Miss in the uh, SEC tournament, I just had a feeling that the Lady Tigers just weren't quite up to par. And, look, the Lady Cajuns are playing some good ball right now. I watched them in that game uh, in the uh, Clearwater Classic against UCLA, and they should have won that game. Look, the Lady Cajuns have a good shot at beating Washington, Ray. They really do. They do. And I'm going to be excited to watch that game. And you you look at it, Doug, and, and not only did the Cajuns go and take down the host team, but how about UCLA, the mighty Bruins, falling and getting eliminated yeah, from their tournament? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was sweet. I liked it myself. <laughs> it was. But, look, everybody's got to look up that mountaintop, Ray, and look at that, them Oklahoma Sooners that are sitting up there. And I just, I just don't see it. I don't see anybody. Taking them down, they they're gonna they're gonna repeat again this year. They're just too good. Uh, they're an too absolute. Good. 
they're an absolute machine, Doug. I mean, that's what it boils down to. But yes, you know, yes. look, we had the, we had the big upsets like San Diego State's into a super regional. They're going to take on a, a a very good Utah program. But Oregon, you know, wins the Fayetteville regional, and Arkansas gets upset. So uh, it's going to be some tremendous super regional matchups, brother. There's some good softball going on right now, Ray. I love it. I appreciate the Thanks phone for call, brother. My call, but hey, look. Georgia Clark, that wasn't the first time that she's had that kind of issue this year. No, it's not. <laughs> Midway through the season, the, uh, the ump had to come and talk to uh, Coach Beth on the sideline, talking to Mike Clark. She's got, she got, she got an attitude, man. Yeah, she does. Like, she's a good ball player, man. Doug, appreciate the phone call, brother. Enjoy your day, my friend. Thank you, Ray. Yeah, look, this isn't Clark's first dust up with the with the uh, umpiring crew. Okay, she's had some issues, right? And and that's that's who she is, right? She she gets mouthy, she's passionate, she's fiery. On one hand, you like that, but on another hand, it could cost you. And and it didn't end up necessarily costing them as Dawson pointed out because she didn't come back around to bat or at least her spot didn't but what if it had now you know but she she should have been ejected before then when she was trotting around the bases talking trash to the ump like who who thinks that's a good idea like that's the part like it just go like just just trot around the bases just 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 go. What are you? Why are you talking trash yeah, it was, to the it was, a, it was a separate game in which, and, and the call was was correct. I mean, I don't. I, I guess she didn't know that, you know, or whatever. But I was like, what? What are you doing? Um. Are yeah. You doing? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know there. But um. I was like, I don't know. And I saw it brought up, and I don't. I don't think it's like you know, out of the realm of possibility that it was brought up. Um. You know about the idea that because it's softball and it's girls, and was would the reaction been the same with the guys? I really think it would have. Like I. When you point it, I think the pointing, too, is what really does it. Like, when you point, I mean, it's always showing up the umpire, right? That's, like, the first thing you're taught. Literally, like, I think if a, even in college baseball, I think if a guy points like that, I 100% think he gets tossed. And I've seen guys I've seen guys get tossed for less. Yeah, certainly. Um, but I did want to, by the way, when we had a minute here, I did want to give a shout-out to Catherine Sandercock from Florida State. Um, I was on the, I was a part of the marketing staff. By all, me- by all means, let's get some Florida State Seminole softball talk in Well, I mean, here. listen, it was, it. I think it was noteworthy. The number three overall national seed. I was on the field last year. Well, not exactly on the field. Here he comes. Here but uh, he comes. I was part of the marketing staff last oh, year for oh, that yes. regional when they were stunned on their home field by Mississippi State. Um, and I, that's another just it was an absolutely shocking outcome. They come back. They lose the they, they, they go the whole season. They're pretty dominant again. They lose the first game to South Carolina. It feels like everything could be happening to them again. Um, and Catherine Sandercock throws a perfect game in a one nothing win uh, against South Carolina to book, book their ticket to the Super. So just want to give a quick shout out to Sandercock, one of the best oh, pitchers in the country. And then absolutely, bud. Absolutely. We'll be moving on to the Supers. Absolutely. There we go. I love I love when you find a way to insert Florida. You're going to be impossible, aren't you? You're just going to be unbearable Labor Day weekend, aren't you? I'm not talking about a 3-2 game in the middle of March. He threw a perfect game to send him to the Supers. I mean, I thought it was noteworthy sporting news aside from my connection to Florida State. I mean, <laughs> just, just 21 up and 21 down against a team hey, in the hey, bud, Hey, I, look, if I didn't agree with you, I wouldn't have allowed it to be on the air, obviously, you know. 
Um, but you're going to be you, you, you're going to be possibly a little extra the couple weeks leading up to the, that Labor Day weekend matchup in uh, Orlando. Tion Coleman stretching defenses. We'll see. There you think is. he's going to play more than I do? Well, maybe he will. I I do. I do. Once again, you don't go get a guy like that in the transfer portal if he's not going to be an instant contributor for your ball club. That's just not how that works. Got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll shift from softball to baseball. Conference tournaments are now set for the SEC Sun Belt and Southland. Dawson and I will give our thoughts on what we think of those draws for LSU, UL, and McNeese. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team. I got one college team. I got one Major League Baseball team. And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for. That's who I support. Period. Call me old-fashioned. The end. Call me old-fashioned. That's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana. Sports Station. As softball transitions to the Super Regionals, college baseball gears up for conference tournaments. And the brackets are now set, and we'll get to action this week. And... For some of our teams, not optimal on where they are seated for the conference tournaments. And let's start with the LSU Tigers. There was a chance a door had opened, a window had opened on Saturday for LSU to still be crowned the regular season champs and earn the number one overall seed for the conference tournament. But they dropped the finale to Georgia. They still won the series. So they fall to the number three seed. And the one, two, three, four seeds, really, there's not that much difference between them. Very close, which makes the SEC baseball tournament in Hoover feel like it's wide open. The Tigers get the three seed, which means they avoid the first round single elimination. They will not get started playing until Wednesday morning. That's right. Up in early... Baseball tournament action Wednesday. We'll have it for you right here on the game, by the way. That means there'll be no footnotes with Kevin Foote on Wednesday because LSU pregame will begin at 9 o'clock. First pitch, 9.30. First game of the day from lovely Hoover at the Met. Now, LSU's the three. They'll play the winner of UGA in South Carolina. The Gamecocks are a really dangerous six seed. Now, they had that great run, and then they faded a little bit, right? South Carolina did. But we know that that was an epic series that got cut short between LSU and South Carolina. They split the first two games. Game three never was played because of weather. And we saw what South Carolina was able to do. But then once again, there's a reason why they're the sixth seed. Because coming down the stretch, they kind of stumbled. But that makes them dangerous. So LSU will play the winner of Georgia-South Carolina. 
And then you look at the rest of the bracket here. And even though the top four seeds in the SEC are pretty spot on, LSU is the three, Arkansas is the two, Florida's the one, Vandy's the four. There's some other teams that are going to be playing on day one, Dawson, that I go, uh-oh. I look at Tennessee as the seven. That's a dangerous team. That's a really dangerous team. And I heard Todd Walker talk about it over the weekend, the LSU baseball legend. And he gave his four teams that he thought can make it to the College World Series out of the SEC. And he said, of course, LSU, Vandy, Florida, and his fourth team was Tennessee. Not Arkansas. It was Tennessee. And he said, college baseball is a weird thing where you're the number one overall seed and you get upset. And many times we've seen it that the next year is the year that you break through. So Tennessee is one of those teams that could make some noise. Another one, Alabama has completely turned a corner after having to fire their coach for gambling on his allegedly gambling on his own team. They've played at an insane level. Now, do I think emotionally they can keep that up for the SEC baseball tournament? No. Especially when you have to come out of the single elimination round, it's a little bit tougher. But this SEC baseball tournament is not going to be easy for any of the teams, Dawson. Like It's, it's yeah. going to be a gauntlet for whoever wins it. And I think teams to pay attention for, because again, the SEC tournament has its um, unique aspects where most of it is not as important as other conference tournaments where teams are fighting for bids. Correct. But you've got some teams that are certainly fighting for hosts and or national seeds. So I think that's something to pay attention to. Tennessee is... Tennessee being one of them. They're pretty much right on the borderline of, of those hosting rights. And so they need a, they probably need a couple of wins to ensure they, they get a chance to host a regional and not have to be on the road. Um, Auburn still might have a chance. I don't know if they have enough wins, but if they put together a big run, maybe they'll have a chance to host. Alabama's also in that conversation. I think South Carolina should be safe with their RPI, given a chance to host, but maybe a chance for them to move up to the national seed line. And Vanderbilt as well, maybe a chance for them to move up to a national seed. So you've got those are the teams that I think really have an opportunity to make some noise. I think LSU's pretty safe in a national seed uh, top eight oh, situation. Yeah. yeah, they're safe there. Talking top eight, I think it's a little bit you know of a conversation, but I still think they're going to stay in even if they were to lose their first couple games here. But um, that's always what's interesting to me. How many teams in this tournament really care to be there and how many of them have something to gain? So uh, that's something to keep in mind. And, and again, South Carolina, I think it's not done and set in stone that they would be a top eight seed or, or, or something like that. So they might have a little bit extra juice coming into this thing. Down the road, about 45 minutes or so from where the SEC tournament's going to be played, the Sunbelt tournament will be played there at Riverwalk Stadium in Montgomery. The Cajuns are the four seed. Great. They get to play Texas State right off the bat. Brutal. Because are the Cajuns equipped to be able to win that game? Yes. And they swept Texas State. And the way Matt Deggs' team played 
in Hattiesburg gives you a lot of confidence of what they can do at the conference tournament, including the fact that, by the way, oh, they won the whole thing last year, remember? But you played a team that you just swept, and that's how you have to open up conference play. You know how hard it is to beat a quality team? It's one thing for the UL softball team to beat up on poor ULM. That's that's one thing, right? You sweep them, then you have to face them off in the conference. You have to face them to start off the conference tournament like the Cajuns did. Texas State is a really, really, really good ball club. So the Cajuns, they're going to get tested right off the bat. And they'll be playing Wednesday night at 7.30. Uh, spoiler alert, that game will not be starting at 7.30. <laughs> just to just to give you a whole heads up there, that will not be taking place at 7.30. Any of the projected start times, unless you're game one of the day, just a rule of thumb for those new to the party that just walked in the door, uh, those are just rough estimates. But what do you make of the Cajuns, their draw for the conference tournament? It could have been better, I think, because um, I, I, I still view this, and I guess maybe part of it is I need to kind of change my thought process, but I still view it as Texas State, Coastal, Southern Miss uh, being the teams that I think are, are, are the best teams in the conference. I know Troy sitting there at the number three spot. I'd have preferred to have been on their side of the draw, honestly. Um, I think if the Cajuns slid down the number six and they had Troy and Southern Miss, it's just tough. I, I you were gonna be you were gonna either have Coastal or Southern Miss on one of your sides. I don't think I, I you know I don't think I preferred either one. I think they're both uh, pretty evenly matched. So I think it's fine that you're on Coastal side. But Texas State being that third team in your side of the bracket, that's tough for me because I think if it was you know your your second two options, number six is App State, number seven is JMU. Uh, I would and and again I I'll agree with Foot a little bit here. I actually feel better playing about playing the team that swept you than the team that you swept. Because um, I do think there's something too. It's just difficult to beat that type of team that many times. The thing that worries with me about Texas State is you held them in check offensively for the most part in that entire correct series. That's just unlikely to happen again. Plus, you had a little bit of the benefit of your own ballpark and how much bigger it plays sometimes. Uh, Riverwalk, I, I it, it can vary from what I remember about the conference tournament. You'll have home situations. of the biscuits. Yeah, and you'll have it is a minor league ballpark, so it's not small by any stretch. There's some times where the ball feel like feels like it really travels there though because we saw a little bit of that in the conference tournament last year. So I think if you get the wrong type of win pattern get that given day, Texas State's a team that can put runs on you in a hurry. So it's not worst-case scenario. Look, how about the impressive job they did in the last three weeks of the season to become a top – not only, remember, we make the tournament was our first goal, top six seed was our second goal. They did all that, and they're actually they top did. four. Look, they did all that, and here's the thing. They should have won that Coastal Series. So – they can go toe-to-toe with Coastal Carolina, who's the one seed, and they just swept Texas State. So they can win both of those games, right? Because if they beat Texas State, then they'd more than likely pay, play Coastal, who's the one seed. But it is a it is a bit of a brutal draw. So Matt Deggs' team is going to have to earn it the hard way. And look, that's just going to be the reality. They're going to have to earn it the hard way. And speaking of earning it the hard way, the worst-case scenario for the McNeese Cowboys happened. Once again, we talked about 
Justin Hill's team not being able to play a conference series to wrap up the regular season. <clears throat> they had to play Miami of Ohio because of the scheduling quirk. And they needed help, right? They needed other teams to lose. Well, McNeese does not avoid the single elimination. Justin Hill's team will have to play the only game that will be played on Tuesday at Joe Miller Ballpark, 6 p.m. first pitch, when they take on Texas A&M Corpus Christi in the single elimination game for the conference tournament. They only take seven teams for the conference tournament, which is a weird, quirky thing. Once again, South Lone Strong. It's a different place. If they win that game, then they will take on, wait for it, the top seed. Nichols. Now, they lost the Nichols series, a series that was easily could have went their way earlier in the season, and they did beat the Colonels in their final, one of their final midweek contests of the year that did not count in conference standings. But McNeese has to play in the single elimination and then play Nichols. And Dawson, what do you do if you're Justin Hill? Your best pitcher is Mr. Rogers, who's probably going to be the pitcher of the year for the Southland Conference. You got to win on Tuesday. But if you win on Tuesday, then you got to face the best team in the conference on Wednesday. So what do you do? Yeah, I think it's a situation where, I don't know, there's there's a couple ways to think about Oh, it's tough, man. Right? It's tough. I do. I fully understand when coaches say we can't worry about game two until we win game one. And if we don't get to game, obviously, in a sing, it's, it's a situation where if you don't win game one, game two doesn't matter. So you'd feel really silly to save your best bullets, so to speak, and not ever use them in the tournament. But there's also a situation where you can sit there and say, if Grant Rogers doesn't pitch against Nichols, or if we don't save him for the second game, we don't see ourselves winning the tournament. I could see that situation as well. The reason I think you throw him is because if you throw him on Tuesday, which they already kind of planned for this, right, by not pitching him a ton on Friday or Correct. Thursday. Correct. He was whatever. limited to three three innings of work. You can maybe bring him back and pitch him twice in this tournament if you throw him the first game. If you th- If you wait and throw him the second game, he's not going to have time to come back. So I think there's a potential <clears throat> you throw him in the first game, you maybe try and limit it if you if you're able to get a lead that could help maybe you're that able to help. get him out there earlier and then obviously he's not going to come back and pitch against Nichols but if you're moving deeper into this tournament maybe you have a chance to bring him back on 3 days rest or something like that so i think that's maybe why you just you go ahead probably and throw him. burn him on Tuesday right because then you get to the double elimination part of the tournament and once again Nichols they beat him 8 to 3 lost 8 to 6 in a game they should have won in 12 innings then lost 8 to 5 then beat him later in the season in a non-conference game. Texas A&M Corpus Christi, they took two of three <clears throat> from the Islanders, winning 8-3, but then they lost 5-3 to three and won the second game 4-3. to three. So it's not going to be easy for Justin Hill's squad. But you'll have an opportunity, because the way this tournament is structured, if you're able to get, again, you have to get through Corpus Christi, and that, that becomes priority number one. And then if you, So I think you pitch him then. Then from there, you go to that double elimination. There's a, all you have to do is get to Friday, I would think. If you give him, if you give him two days rest, you try to bring him back. You could either bring him back Friday or you could give him three days rest, bring him back Saturday. Now, again, that's meaning you're probably not going to throw him 105, 110 pitches, get him deep into the outing against Corpus Christi. It's true. 
So I think you need a, your plan needs to be stardom. Hopefully your offense comes through early, get you a lead. You're able to, you know, go to the bullpen and then save him and then potentially bring him back in a championship situation or a semifinal spot. I think that's your best bet, but we'll see what Coach Hill decides to do. We got to take a timeout. When we return, our one and only guest of the day, Jeff Palermo, will join us from Tiger Rag Radio. We'll talk about the LSU softball team being eliminated by the Louisiana Raging Cajuns and the baseball team earning the number three seed as they get ready to head over to Hoover. That's all next right here on the game. This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and company live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The LSU softball team loses the Baton Rouge Regional in an epic weekend of college softball there at Tiger Park as Louisiana Raging Cajuns kind of get over on their rival finally and punch their ticket to the Supers for the first time since 2016. The baseball team, Jay Johnson's group, well, they're gearing up for Hoover. That's right. They're headed over to the Met. They'll be the number three seed. They'll play Wednesday morning against the winner of South Carolina versus Georgia. You'll be able to listen to that game live right here on the game. Pre-game begins at 9 o'clock a.m. Hello, morning baseball. First pitch, 9.30. To talk about that and so much more is our friend from Tiger Rag Radio, Jeff Palermo, joins us now. Jeff, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Well, doing well, Raymond. What's uh, new in your world? Uh, you know, it was a slow weekend in the world of sports. You know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, let's start off with what took place in Baton Rouge over the weekend between LSU and the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Uh, we've dove into it. There were so many dramatic moments, so many great plays, uh, a player getting ejected for talking trash to an ump for a second time. Um, what stood out to you what happened over the weekend there at Tiger Park? Well, just the resiliency of um, the UL softball team and um, the fact that, as uh, Jerry Glasgow said in the press conference afterwards, is that uh, they just, uh, you know, may, maybe the, the top-end talent for LSU is a little bit better than what uh, UL has, but I think the Cajuns have a more complete team. I think they got more pieces to go to. Um, and they're just a little bit deeper and that, uh, and you know, they, they got some, <laughs> they got some terrific hitters. I mean, Jordan Campbell having a great year is a great, great, uh, Sunday, uh, Carly Heath, what she was uh, able to do really throughout the entire season and into the regional. Um, I think they, they deserve to win it. Um, and, um, you know, now for LSU, it's kind of, um, I don't know. We'll we'll see we'll see what happens here, but it you you get the feeling that the program's kind of it's plateaued here uh, lately. Uh, they've lost in the regionals now two years in a row. Um, 
They were in the Super Regionals in 2021. Again, blew a late lead in that game as well, or at least in in Game 2 of the Super Regional Series that uh, prevented them from at least forcing a a third game against Florida State, and it's been since 2017 since they've been to the Women's College World Series. What would you make of Clark? She had an interesting Sunday home run. Gets ruled not a home run. It was the right call. You looked at the replay. It was foul. Uh, she talks some trash to the ump, pointing to the ump. That doesn't get her tossed, but she does get tossed for arguing a call uh, that happened earlier. Uh, what do you make of what the young woman did and went through on Sunday? Well, I mean, she's one of LSU's better hitters, and I know it's frustrating, and you, you thought you hit a dramatic home run there, and it um, it, it didn't – it was foul, as you mentioned – um, that was a pretty bad call on whether the ball hit or bat. You know, I mean that was that was a bad call. I, I think it's just a frustration. I think it's a long day of softball. I, I mean, I in particular, it seemed like every time they they showed the LSU dugout in that second game, they just looked and, and, and you know in typical softball fashion. You know, the girls are chanting and doing all kinds of uh, different antics. But they just seem drained. I mean, I mean, it, it, it's so much. It's a lot of pressure, and you saw it on Beth Tarina's face too in the post game. It's just, it's a lot of pressure for LSU because they're expected to win that regional against uh, their their rivals to the west. But that, as as Beth Tarina points out, that they should be hosting their own regional. They sh- they shouldn't have to. They shouldn't have to face a scenario. Uh, like they had to face on Sunday in trying to beat you know, one of the better teams in the country twice, and uh, I know uh, you know LSU fans could look at that as a as an excuse, and they still should have gotten the job done, and I get that, but um, it's it's it wasn't it wasn't an easy task. No one thought that um, you know LSU was just going to wake up on Sunday and you know, easily roll over them like they did on uh, Saturday afternoon. You knew it was going to be a battle. You knew probably the Cajuns would win at least one of those games. And, um, heck, it it almost looked like they're going to run away and hide in the third game, or I guess in the final game of the championship round. Uh, Give credit to LSU for, for storming back the way they did. They storm back. It's a back and forth game. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns commit five errors in the game, and they still win yeah. it. It's 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 one of the weirder ends to a regional that we have seen in a long time, Jeff. Where does you, you mentioned it? Look, they're only a few years away from going to the super regionals, so right, it's right. it's it's not as if this program is you know has fallen off a cliff. And so what do you think needs to happen with Beth Trina's team to get them back to going to the College World Series and and being one of those teams that is a contender to win a national title? Well, it'd be interesting to hear the conversation that she has with Scott Woodward. Um, You know, I mean, I think a lot of people point at it as this is the last position as far as the major sports, and I'll say softball is a major sport. Um, I mean, it it draws well. It's there's a, there's a lot of attention on it. This is the one coaching move that Scott Woodward has yet to make, 
And I think you, if you're Scott Woodward, you're also looking ahead to the future in that Oklahoma, who's obviously the, the, the best program in all of NCAA softball, is, is coming into the league. And Texas, who was in the championship series last year, is coming into the league as well. And it seemed like when LSU went up against really the top competition this year, they just didn't they did not they did not compete very well. I I'm not saying they didn't try, but they they never were really in those type of games. And uh they had a hard time uh in those contests and you know there were some other series that they lost. Uh, I, mean, I I don't know. I, I think Beth, you know, Beth Tarina is, is well respected. Um, you know, she hit some milestones this year as far as wins and coaches, you know, and the number of games that she coached. But can she get this with the with the conference becoming tougher in the next couple of years? Can she get this program back to where it's at least had you know going to College World Series uh, every couple of years? Um, I don't know. Scott Woodward's got a take a long look at that and whether that might mean changes on her staff or changes with her. I'm not exactly sure at this point, um, but it'll be an interesting conversation. Uh, But this is a program. What did they go? 42 and 17 though. I mean, they only lost 17 games. They, they had a really good season. Um, But is it, is it, is it okay if they're just, you know, ranked between 10 and 20 every year and not, you know, competing for championships again. I mean, it, it, the, the bar has been raised across all the sports, especially uh, after you watch women's basketball win a national championship. Well, Jeff, let's switch over to baseball a little bit. Talk about Jay Johnson's team for a minute here. They had a uh, an interesting series to finish the season out in Athens against the Bulldogs. But when all said and done, they're the number three seed in the SEC tournament. Um, they have an opportunity to maybe continue to figure things out pitching wise in that tournament. What are your expectations for them in Hoover? Well, um, you know, obviously they'll win when Paul Skeens pitches. <laughs> I think it would be interesting to see them go up against South Carolina again. That's a, the potential game that they could face on Wednesday. I'm interested to see what Jay Johnson will do with his. With his um, how he'll line up his pitchers. Does he bring Skeens on Wednesday, or does he give him the full week and allows him to pitch Saturday? And you kind of use Wednesday as you would, like how you've been using your midweek games. Because I think you know you're going to get a good start out of Skeens, and yet you'll probably win at least one game. So that you know means Ty Floyd will pitch again. Uh, I'll be interested to hear what he decides to do with that. I, I think you can make a strong argument to just keep Skeens at Thursday, give him his full seven days that he's been getting, and uh, not force him to come pitch on Wednesday. Uh, but then you're going to be going up um, against a pretty prolific offense in potentially South Carolina. Uh, but there's some te- things they got to clean up. Uh, I mean, you got another great start from Ty Floyd this past weekend. Thatcher Hurd was amazing on Thursday night after giving up a couple home runs uh, in the ninth. Gavin Gidry looked good. And then Saturday was just kind of more of what we've been seeing, uh, just not good enough. Um, Christian Little struggling once again, uh, unable to – and then the offense kind of just meandering through the game and – the the other team takes advantage of it. You had another error in there. Tommy White continues to have his struggles from as far as throwing across the diamond. So 
Uh, it'll be interesting to see if, if this team uh, makes it. I, I think they'll make it to the weekend. I don't know if they – I don't think they got enough pitching, though, to win the SEC tournament. Uh, you know, there's going to be some guys that are going to have to really step up and, and, and pitch very well in order for that to happen. Well, we only got about a minute or so, but wanted to get out, get you out of here with this one, Jeff. What do you need to see from them in this tournament as far as the pitching staff is concerned to feel any sort of confidence heading into postseason play, regionals and super regionals? Well, you'd like to see, you know, Ty Floyd put together another really good outing. Uh, and I just think, um, you know, some of these other guys that have been kind of struggling, you want to see Thatcher Hurt put together another really good outing. I, I think uh, – you know anybody that comes out of that bullpen and pitches well is going to be a plus, is going to be a plus. That that's kind of really what you're looking for. You're you're just you don't want to see them have these outings where they just it just com- completely blows up on them and you know the bases are loaded in a, in a matter of a heartbeat and and then you end up giving up three four five runs in a game and. Um, so uh, I think that's uh, I think that's the the biggest thing. Uh, you know, whoever can come out of that pen or whoever gets on that mound and they can go out there and pitch well, that's that's what you want to see. Um, you know, the Riley Coopers, the Blake Money, Thatcher Hurd. You know, I, I don't know. I don't I don't know how you can really rely on a guy like Christian Little at this point. I mean, I th- he's given every opportunity and he just he's just not been able to perform. Jeff, appreciate your time. As always, brother, have a tremendous Tiger Rag Radio this week. Bud, we'll talk to you next week. All right, sounds good, guys. Thank you. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you think RP3 is the only nickname Ray has? Think again. There was Little Vainant. There was Little Foot, Little Bubba. There was LD, which stood for Little Dufo. There was Ray Dog. There was Ray Diggity Dog. There was Fish. There was Fish Face. There was RP3. There was even Ramundo from El Segundo. Back to the host with more nicknames than he knows what to do with. RP3, right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. What was the craziest thing from the weekend? Right now, 44% of you say McNeese losing the game like they did, giving up seven runs in the seventh inning to Washington to lose the Seattle Regional. 31% of you say the Raging Cajuns come back in BR to win that regional to punch their ticket to the Supers for the first time since 2016. 21% of you say Block's top 15 performance at the PGA Championship, which Brooks Kepka actually won. And 4% of you say other. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave those comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll make sure to share them throughout today's show. Hour two in the books. What we got in store for you for hour three? How about NBA playoffs, PGA championship, and more? That's all next right here on The Game. Everything, everything, 
Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Eight oh three. That means the final hour of today's RP three and company has arrived. Open hour for us here. Only one guest on today's show because there's so much to recap from the weekend, and we've spent the better part of today's show talking about softball and baseball college ranks. As of course, I'm joined inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette by the producer extraordinaire Dawson Iserlo. Softball took the spotlight this weekend, even with NBA playoffs, including conference finals going on. We'll get to that later on this hour. Even with the PGA Championship going on this weekend. And shout out to Brooks Kepka. By the way, he has more major wins now than Rory does. Just like to point that out. Just like to point that out. And Rory was overshadowed by the guy he was playing with on Sunday as well. It's a weird thing with Rory right now. We'll get to that later on. And we'll get to the Houston Astros, by the way, sweeping the poverty franchise that is the Oakland Athletics. They've now won seven in a row, I do believe. Correct? Yeah. Even with... All the injuries they have, even with Michael Brantley's weird status, this is a team that is starting to heat up at the right time as we get closer and closer to Memorial Day weekend. We'll get to all of that still coming up. And we'll take your phone calls. Game hotline's open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. So if you want to get your phone calls in, chop it up with us, you can Also, don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. It was a weekend filled with surprises, and we asked you, what was the craziest thing from this past weekend? And man, there was was a lot of crazy. There was a lot of, as we like to call, these games, this series is absolutely drunk right now. What was the craziest thing from the weekend? 45% of you say McNeese letting the regional victory slipped through their fingers there in Washington. 31% say the Cajuns come back in BR. 20% of you say blocks top 15 showing at the PGA Championship, including dunking a hole-in-one where he broke the hole, which was phenomenal. 4% of you say other. Cajuns, they get to vanquish the rival. And we talked about this last week, Dawson. That, yes, Cajun fans were disappointed because they didn't get to host a regional. The Cajuns themselves were disappointed because they didn't get to host a regional. Jerry Glasgow was probably disappointed that they didn't get to host a regional. And they had to go yet again to Baton Rouge to take on LSU. But what did we say? We said it's setting up for them to not only get over the hump, but to do so against the arch rival, 
against the team that has ended their postseason a few times here in recent years that lives 45 minutes across the basin to finally get to a Super Regional for the first time in Jerry Glasgow's tenure and to prove everyone wrong that they probably should have been hosting to begin with. And all that was in front of them. They just had to seize the moment. And in a crazy weekend in Baton Rouge, with dramatic moments, key moments, and a back-and-forth affair, especially the second game, the deciding game, game seven of the weekend, the Cajuns found a way, despite having five errors in that game, despite being sloppy with the glove work, despite having some of the pitching not be its best, they found a way. And they made every move that they needed to make to rise to the occasion to get the win. And it was a phenomenal performance over the weekend for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns as they finally punched through and get to the Super Regional round for the first time since 2016. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Greg to the show who's been patiently waiting. Greg, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Good. Good morning. Great morning to be a Cajun fan. Uh, what a day it was. What a weekend it was in, in Baton Rouge, really. But I just wanted to call and comment on Mr. D'Angelo Sanchez. Do we do? Does everybody know who D'Angelo Sanchez is? If you were watching the games this weekend, specifically the LSU games, you know who D'Angelo Sanchez is. Former softball player Shemaya Sanchez. It's her older brother. He's the one sitting behind home plate with all the yeah, the guy, the, the the guy that people thought was Terrell Owens. <laughs> what in the world is going on with this guy? Look. If He's this passionate. is his avenue to make it to stardom, I mean, it's just it's terrible. And I was looking at some uh, some posts after talking with some family members during the game, watching him, and he had some Facebook posts and, and Twitter and whatnot, and he was actually told numerous occasions at different games to move out from behind the plate because, one, the belt is too shiny, and he was using it as a distraction, obviously, and that reflective surface was getting in the pitchers and the players' faces when the, the sun was angled at the right direction. But this guy, I mean, if he didn't get under your skin, I can imagine what was going through Kendra Lamb's head and through uh, Landry's head. I mean, it's just unbelievable to see the antics this guy did every single pitch. There was even one time I saw towards the end of, I think it was the second game yesterday, where he stood on that wall after a, a he stood, strike call yeah, he that stood he didn't up. go for. It was just unbelievable, and he was such a distraction to us watching the game. I can imagine how these girls feel. Yeah, it was it was, it was was kind of ridiculous. I'm not going to lie to you. but Quite uh, ridiculous. But how, how's, how's it feel to have the, the Cajuns uh, get back to a Super Regional for the first time since 2016, brother? You, you know, it's really nice. It's nice to see Glasgow finally get over that little hump. Um, a lot of people had those uh, – the you know, they, they didn't have the full belief in him and think that thought that it was stagnant. You know, he's put together a well-rounded team, and we finally got, you know, four great girls in the circle that all can deliver pretty darn good. 
and can show their uh, their stuff. Uh, I really like their chances up in Washington. I really was hoping to see McNeese here because that would have guaranteed either McNeese or the Cajuns going to the World Series, which would have been phenomenal uh, either way. But um, I'm certainly not a McNeese fan, you know, by any stretch, especially how salty uh, the history's been after being such a longtime Cajun fan. But um, it, it's great to see the Cajuns back in it and uh, proud of those girls, proud of the grit that they, they kept yesterday. Was excited to see that six run first inning in the second game. I mean, it was just, uh, you know, they, they were out to win it. And, and we were, after watching the game Saturday, we were like, man, you know, it, it was so salty when you weren't selected for a regional. And you've got to take that to Baton Rouge with you and fight for it and try and show the committee that they did wrong. And uh, even though I think they were teed up better this way, you know, being able to go play number seven instead of going up to Oklahoma, because, you know, they'd have probably gotten that 16 seed, maybe the 15 seed. But um, I think it worked out for them, and I think it's going to work out for them again this weekend. I'm uh, I'm about an 80% chance, 75 80% chance that the Cajuns will go in there. You know, personally, I think they'll go in. And with the pitching staff they have and the depth that we've got on the team, um, I think we'll go into Washington beat those Huskies, shut that bark down a little bit, and um, once again show the selection committee that, you know, they did wrong to one of the mid-majors, and uh, we'll see the Cajuns in the Women's College World Series this year. That's my belief. Greg, appreciate the phone call, brother. Enjoy the rest of your day, my friend. Y'all too. Take care. Cajuns did get it done. Wait. It was such a we hadn't even had a chance to talk about boy. I'm glad Greg brought him up because you're watching the game and you're like, why is he standing? What's he doing? What's he doing? It was uh, it was interesting to say the least. Uh, a, a lot of chatter. I wasn't there in person. We had staffers there. Our guy uh, Matt Miguez was there in person, and also Kevin was there. Uh, lots of chatter about not a great crowd on hand for the games, and there was talk about moving fans around to make it look like it was fuller. And I, I wasn't there; it, it looked pretty full to me. But I, I don't know. I heard some chatter on social media. I saw a lot of empty seats in the outfield on Sunday, which was surprising because again, I was there for the whole regional in '21 as a fan, um, and it was packed every day. I mean, we were, it was rush, you know, rush out to the to the grass area and try and claim your seat early on in the day. So yeah, oh, yeah. I I don't know. I mean, look, there's a couple of factors with that. I think the the fact that it was again the same matchup that they've seen in the past, maybe. I guess some a little bit of frustration with some people with the LSU program. I don't know, though. It's it's a regional championship Sunday. I know the Cajun fans kind of showed up in the numbers that they normally do. Um, but surprising, yeah, that it wasn't as packed as it would usually be for, for a regional final. I, I thought because not only was it a regional final, but because of the two teams involved and the rivalry, that that place would be overflowing. And it wasn't. So that was a little... Uh, once again, from some of the angles, it looked fine. But when you did pan out to the outfield, there was empty seats. And you're like, because I remember, was it 21 maybe? Or it was one of those years that we went out and you, you had people with lawn chairs over on the other side of the outfield there at Tiger Park. And it was it was packed, man. It was absolutely 
packed. And so, you know, I wasn't there in person. We'll have to ask Kevin. You'll have to ask Kevin what the crowd was like, and we'll we'll ask Matt. But there were some shots on television where you're like, it looked like it was a Friday game against the four seed and not the championship round. And did LSU fans just feel like, oh, well, we're going to win, so we don't need to bother to show up? I I, I don't know. Or, or maybe what you alluded to, maybe they're a little disenchanted with LSU. Or could it just be taking them for granted? I don't know. But I thought for sure it would be absolutely packed to the gills, but it was not. Just getting an update here, courtesy of our guy, Matt Miguez. Cajun softball will play Friday night at 9 p.m., in the Super Regional matchup with the Washington Huskies. So 9 p.m. on Friday night is when Jerry Glasgow's team will begin Super Regional play out there in Seattle. Yeah, and Game 2 would be at 6 o'clock on Saturday, and Game 3, still no time designated. That's, of course, the if-necessary game. Correct. So there we go. A little bit of an update there. And look, as joyous as it was for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to get over the hump and win that regional for the first time since 2016, just brutal for the McNeese softball program. A great season where they took down top 25 ranked opponents. A great season where they won more than 40 games. They won the regular season title and conference play. They won the conference tournament. And they moved farther than any Southland team had ever done. No Southland team had ever forced a Game 7 at a regional site. Never happened before until yesterday. Last year, they took that great step when they beat Notre Dame twice in the Evanston Regional. Got to go to Sunday. They had never gotten that far before. This year, they beat Washington, get to a Game 7 at a regional. No Southland program had ever done that before. And they were three outs away with a six-run lead in the seventh inning from winning their first ever regional. And it got away from them. And Washington, who had been held in check by McNeese, not only during their regular season matchup in Lake Charles, which McNeese won, during the regional as well, explodes for seven runs. And they win the game. Brutal. Brutal loss for the Meanies Cowgirls. Great season, and it's going to be hard to look at it that way, but this one's going to sting for a while. Yeah, it really is. And and lastly, as we're moving into another segment, I mean, how about the softball talk we've had today? It's just there's that much to break down, but um, I still have not changed my mind. It's better to host uh, me and Jay Walker We'll stay on that side of the argument. I think the Cajuns still would have rather to be a host site. Um, I understand where 16 lands with Oklahoma right now, and we'll see what Clemson does kind of being uh, in an, in a difficult spot, but I still think it's better to host. And as we saw, UCLA wasn't as unbeatable as Kevin Foote described them as. They're already home. They went to and barbecue in their own regional. But bigger picture, 13 of the 16 regional hosts won the regionals, um, including the 16C Clemson. So 13 teams that hosted moved on. Only three teams that weren't the host team uh, actually won the regionals, and that's just kind of how softball is. And 
Honestly, we're not going to see in baseball. It's a little different, but we're probably going to see at least 10 regional hosts move on in baseball as well. It's just the better path forward. Obviously, those are the better teams anyway, for the most part, except when the committee does something. But also with LSU losing this regional, I think it's, again, important to point out that they didn't get the best end of this deal either, right? They had to play uh, probably the best non-regional host team in their own regional, and that was, um, you know, certainly not something they asked for. So that's something to keep in mind. Correct. Absolutely. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, how about those Houston Astros? Won seven in a row, swept the poverty franchise that is the Oakland Athletics. We'll talk about that next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Want to join in the discussion with RP3? Then just give us a call on the hotline. You know the number. Two, four, niner, five, six, seven, eight. I can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a niner in there? Were you calling from a walkie-talkie? No need to be embarrassed. Just call us at 337-706-0111. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, those Houston Astros. Notorious slow starters. And this year, let's be honest, it was worse than ever. Well, at least during this run. They had never started this slow late in the season. The last time you'd have to go back and look would be 2016 before they put together the run of six straight ALCS appearances. And things did seem a little off and not exactly encouraging right Jose Altuve gets injured during the World Baseball Classic he misses the the start of the season Michael Brantley is supposed to be back with the team but then during his rehab assignment he has some sort of issues we still don't know what they are you have a flurry a plethora if you will of pitchers getting injured missing time in Arkady's case, at least half the season. We still don't know when Lance McCullers Jr. is coming back. And they took some lumps. Guys were struggling at the dish. Alex Bregman early on. Jeremy Pena early on. But somehow, some way, this Astros team found a way. Found a way to start turning things around. And over the weekend, what did they do? They swept the Oakland Athletics. Yes, the Athletics are a poverty franchise, one that's being ran into the ground that can only draw 2,000 fans for games. I understand that. But this is baseball. A win is a win. And it's against a divisional opponent. So I don't care if Oakland is a dumpster fire, which they are. They're the worst team in baseball. The only thing that matters, D'Lo, is that they got a win, and they did so Friday, 5-1. to one. Then they did so in a hard-fought game on Saturday, 3-2. to two. And then they wrapped it up with another hard-fought game on Orbit's birthday, by the way. Yesterday, 2 to nothing, and now they've won seven in a row, and they're not even fully healthy yet. Yeah, and Framber was dominant. Uh, if you listened to footnotes last week, you'd have thought they were playing the 1929 New York Yankees. Um, <laughs> because of some ridiculous, you know, 
theory he had about the A's having a losing streak. I told him it's absolutely not something to worry about. And as he walked out of the station on Friday, he said, oh, just worried about these A's. I just just worried about the A's. I said, it's fine. And then they swept him. So um, just wanted to throw that in there. There, there you go. There you go. Uh, Astros have won seven straight. And look, they've done so against the A's and the Cubs, and they won a game against the White Sox. I, I, I get all that. It's not exactly world beaters by any stretch of the imagination. But it doesn't matter. This is baseball. It's a long season. And they have definitely gotten themselves right. And you hope that they'll continue to get healthy as well, which would go a long way for this team. They'll begin a three-game set in Milwaukee, where they have the sausage races, against the Brewers tonight, 640. And you can listen to that game right here on the game, obviously. First pitch, 640. Pre-game Astro launch will begin straight up at 6 o'clock. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Jamie, who's been patiently waiting. Jamie, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind? Hey, good morning, Mr. Third. How you doing today? Uh, Bud, I'm talking to you. I'm doing tremendous. Man, I'm sorry. If that makes it tremendous for you, that's a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> how's, uh, how's Hattie finishing up the year, man? She's only got three days left with students. She, all, she, she only has three days left, and she's been obsessing about it all weekend. So, yes, <laughs> she's, she, she's ready for school to be out, brother. Yeah, so are our teachers. We can't wait. We got till Friday, and then we're done. Um, and man, I, I, I'm I'm excited. I'm I'm going with a friend of mine. We're going to go check out an Astros game in a couple of weeks uh, against the Nationals. Is the plan? So uh, Star Wars Day. So best of both worlds. We get to watch the Astros, and I get to celebrate Star Wars. It's going to be a good time. Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. So what's on your mind, man? But, I wanted to go in on the poll question of the day. I know we've been talking, or y'all been talking a lot of softball and, and baseball and everything. And I know there's no love for, for hockey, so I'm just going to make it quick. There, the conference finals are going on in the NHL. You got the East and the West. Four games have been played. All four have gone to overtime. That has been surprising to me because, you know, usually hockey games, especially in the finals, you know, they, they usually get done in the three periods. But one of the longest games in the history of the NHL took place between uh, the Florida Panthers and uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, four overtimes. That's unheard of. So that's been my biggest surprise. And, uh, man, I tell you what, go Cajuns. I need the Cajuns to go ahead and whoop up on Washington, get that over with, go to Omaha, because they are definitely due. Appreciate y'all taking my call. Y'all have a good day. And there was our obligatory hockey talk on RP3 and Company, courtesy of our guy Jamie. Oklahoma City, by the way, for the women. Um, <laughs> but I appreciate the enthusiasm. <laughs> Omaha is for baseball. But I Omaha. understand the Cajuns played and beat Omaha, so I get that you know, maybe he's mixing that up there. <laughs> it, these things, they happen. Look, it's the end of a long school year for Jamie as well. Mr. Mr. Green is tired. Mr. Green is ready for the school year. Mr. Green is ready for summer. Oh, man. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Keep leaving your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll make sure to share them throughout the remainder of today's show. When we come back, man, we got to tackle everything else that happened over the weekend. Step away from the diamond for baseball and softball talk. We'll talk NBA playoffs, PGA championship, and maybe if Dawson's lucky, we can squeeze in some NASCAR. It was a special sight over the weekend lots of great buzz about what happened we'll get to that next right here on the game
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. If you listen to NBA GMs or a lot of the big talking heads, they'll tell you that coaching doesn't matter. Coaching doesn't matter in the NBA, RP3. I mean, look, it's all about the stars. The stars coach themselves. The stars do it all. You could put you out there, RP3, and they'd still win 50 games. Well, that is an absolute lie. Coaching does matter in the NBA. Just because owners and GMs have quick trigger fingers these days and have decided to fire three of the last four coaches that have won NBA championships and another who played for one, by the way, just a few years ago because the coaches are always the scapegoat. And the narrative that coaching doesn't matter. Well, let's look at the Miami Heat because as an eight seed, the Heat, with not a top 10 player on their roster, with the guy who's barely considered a top 15 player in Jimmy Butler and who, by the way, are getting contributions from four undrafted players are one win away from advancing to the NBA Finals yet again because Coach Spo is one of the best coaches in the game. Period. Coaching matters. And you're seeing it in these playoffs. And you're seeing it with what the Miami Heat have been able to do. Spolstra has been able to do it all. He's a Pat Riley disciple, one of the greatest coaches of all time, a guy that's probably on the Mount Rushmore. And Spo has gone from coaching superstars during that run of four straight NBA Finals where they won two titles with LeBron, D-Wade, and Chris Bosh, and Amario Chalmers and Ray Allen and others. Birdman. Shout out to Birdman. But now he's doing it with a guy many of us or many NBA folks don't consider to be an elite player, yet he has the Miami Heat on the brink of making it to the NBA Finals yet again. And they lost one of their best players right at the start of the playoffs. And then they lost another guy that's been a great six-man for him and really has started a lot of games in Oladipo. They lost him! So it's Jimmy Butler, who's wildly underrated, He's like Kawhi Leonard the year with the Toronto Raptors, but he's been doing this now for like three seasons. It's Jimmy Butler and Bam, who's really ascended this year, and a bunch of dudes that went undrafted. And you know why they're up three games to none on the Boston Celtics? We could focus on Boston playing with its food. We could focus on Boston not living up to its potential. We could focus on Boston, once again, being immensely disappointed disappointing in these Eastern Conference finals. But let's give credit to Miami, and let's give credit to the fact that they are out coaching 
their opposition. They're out preparing their opposition and they're out executing their opposition. Boston has more talent. Boston has more all-stars. Boston has more guys considered to be league MVPs. And they're down three games to none. Because Miami Heat have a guy that takes the court that makes everyone around him better because he pushes them as hard as he pushes himself. And that's the thing about Jimmy. It rubbed people the wrong way in Philly. His teammates, not Joel Embiid, Embiid really liked having Jimmy and was upset that he left. It rubbed his teammates like Carl Anthony Towns and others wrong in Minnesota because Jimmy is a junkyard dog. He gets after you because he gets after himself. Period. And they have found guys that have bought into that. Now, does it help that they're undrafted and they have something to prove and they got a chip on their shoulder? Yeah, that feeds into their dynamic. If you put a bunch of stars on that team, does it work with Jimmy? Probably not. I don't think he works well with other stars because he pushes those other stars to the limit. He's got that Kobe in him. A lot of guys, especially now, don't respond very well to that. But you got a guy who's a dog. You got a lot of guys who have chips on their shoulder, and you have probably the best coach in the NBA right now. You know who else has chips on their shoulder and kind of guys that have that, you know, that dog mentality that you're mentioning? Brooks Kepka and Michael Block, the two stories of the PGA Championship. How about those performances, huh? Brooksky, look. Kepka now has won five majors. Yeah. Five. And, yeah. And as much as a lot of the PGA Tour doesn't want to talk about it, and it was, there was some awkward moments, and you saw a lot of the talk from the PGA Tour social media accounts and a lot of the, let's be honest, openly people that have, uh, are, have an open disdain for the Live Tour. Talk about the golf pro that finished in the top 15 and had a great dunk in hole-in-one. And, and I get it. But what Kepka did in the conditions while others faltered, you, we, 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 we talked about this on last week's show. You and I both said, watch out for Brooks. Right? Because he let the Masters get away from him. He had a terrible Sunday in Augusta. And we felt, okay, how is he going to bounce back? Well, he bounced back by being dominant. Like, being dominant. No, there's only two other golfers, I do believe, that won the PGA Championship more than him now. And that's Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus. That's pretty good company to be to, to be included with. And the notion, the narrative that, well, the guys that left the PGA Tour don't have that dog in them. Okay. Then what do you how do you explain what happened this weekend in Rochester when he was playing against the best that the world has to offer? When he's playing against the defending champ Justin Thomas and he's got Roy McElroy and Scotty Scheffler and Xander Shoffley and John Rahm and you go through the list of all the guys that were there. And it didn't matter. Because Kepka is that guy. And Brooks is back. He is. He is. I mean, it's something probably just a little bit of 
guys that have been through the grind and they know what Tallahassee, Florida has to offer in Florida State University. And it they get circles back to the Seminoles again. No, but uh, but I, I did actually want to pivot, and I thought Kepko, look, he was fantastic. Not surprising. You, you know, and he was asked about the Sunday at the Masters, and he kind of was like, uh, yeah, uh, that's not happening again. And, and you just believe him when he says something like that. Um, but Michael Block, like, and I mentioned, I'm glad I brought it up, right? We talked to it with Chris, our guy last week about the, the PGA pros and, and their opportunities here and how cool it was that they were in it. And I mean, we had the conversation like, you know, maybe somebody can make the cut, right? And, and not only did Michael Block make the cut, but he was in contention. Like, I mean, he really was, there's a stretch of time in this tournament where you're looking up and it's like midway through the third round and he's only four or five shots off the lead. Like he had a legit shot at certain points. And he never faltered. And, I mean, the up and down he made on 18 is one of the most ridiculous up and downs. And I told, you know, I was sitting there going, he's got to be out of gas, right? He's not used to competing at this level for four rounds the way these other guys are. You talk about the guys on the live tour. Well, this guy's not even, I mean, he's, he, yeah, he plays competitive golf. But he's not competing on the PGA Tour week in and week out at all. So that up and down he made was unbelievable. The hole in one, obviously, is just incredible theater. I mean, you, you can't script stuff like that again. Um but what he did was actually unbelievably impressive. He's 46 years old. Again, he's he's a he's a PGA professional. He's been playing good golf, and he talked about that. But it's tin cup come to life kind of thing. It's right? unbelievable. It's it, it's an unbelievable story, and because of his performance, finishing in the top 15, that means he now qualifies for the next tournament on tour, and next year's PGA Championship. Well, so he actually didn't qualify for the next tournament on tour, but the Charles Schwab Classic reached out and gave him a sponsor's exemption. So that's actually awesome. He's going to be playing next weekend, which is just, again, that's it's just crazy to think about. Smart, smart move. Well, yeah, a little, little publicity there for a, for a smaller tournament that's, uh, I, I guess not a smaller tournament, but an event that's after a major that sometimes struggles to get stronger fields in there. Uh, he was also, I saw the RBC Canadian Open, I think it was, reached out on Twitter and was like, would love to have you. I don't know if that was an official invite or what. Um, but yeah, he'll be back at the PGA at, at Valhalla, I think is how it's pronounced. So I'll have to get uh, our guy Chris to confirm to me the pronunciation there. But that's you, you got that right. Okay, good good to know. But um, no, it's 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 an unbelievable, like it's, it's one of those dream come true. And again, like let's be, I do want to, I know it's kind of confusing for some people, like, this guy does play competitive golf. He plays a lot of golf. He is not like, you know, it's not like a five handicap at a local municipal course that came out and did it. But <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's not D Lo and I playing. Right. No. But no. It is still like one of the more remarkable sports feats, I think, of the entire year that we have seen. Like, and, and we I don't know if we'll it's just something it's also difficult to put it in perspective because this doesn't happen in other sports, right? You can't really play other sports at the highest level unless you're playing them at the highest level, if that makes sense, right? Because golf is one of those unique sports that can you can play around a, a round of golf is a round of golf, right? So anyway, Correct. I'm getting a little uh, drawn out here, but it's just there unbelievable what we saw. Kepka wins nine under. We did not expect we expected the the conditions they played a role, right, and the way they redesigned the course as well. Uh, but after shooting a 72 in round one, 66, 66, 67. I mean, just absolutely phenomenal. Victor Hovland had some trouble on Sunday, but he grinded it out. Still made a sixty-eight. He sure does seem like he's getting close. Was in the mix, and I look. I thought Scotty Scheffler was going to make a run there, and I and I was texting back and forth. He shot a sixty-five on right, Sunday, right? And 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 he was in position, right? He just kind of ran out of space with with the way Kepka played. If Kepka doesn't have a fantastic round on Sunday, then Scheffler's right there, of course, with Hovland as well. But Scotty Scotty seventy-three on Saturday hurt him. Yeah, yeah, um, put him back. But you're right. The pressure was on for Brooks. 
Uh, Rory finishes tied for seventh, a respectable finish for him, um, obviously. Uh, but the live guys, Kepka wins. Bryson DeChambeau tied for fourth. Cameron Smith tied for ninth. They're not going away, just to let you know. All right, bud. We got a couple minutes here. It's your time to shine. NASCAR. Yeah, well, it was exciting. And... Um... <laughs> You look at me sometimes. There's some problems with the the short track package. I'm not going to get into that because that's a little bit of technical stuff. But basically, when NASCAR went to the newer car, the new next-gen car last year, uh, it hasn't been as dynamic at short tracks with some of the passing and situations. So that was still in play, but I don't think that was North Wilkesboro related. But what they did around that facility to kind of bring it back to life with these modernized trends, but keep the old-timey feel of this classic track, this abandoned speedway that they came back to. I thought they did an unbelievable job, and I know I talked about that, and we talked about it last week. That was the plan, um, but they executed it really perfectly, in my opinion, in that regard, and uh, you saw some really exciting race. The truck race was actually probably a lot more entertaining than the Cup All-Star race, um, and that's, again, part of it is the aero package, which they're still kind of working to nail it down. Um, the crowds were excellent. It was sold out, uh, or at least packed. I don't. I didn't get the f- official numbers on if it was sold out or not, but it was packed for even the truck race too, which you don't see a lot of truck races that are that crowded. I think they've kind of proved that the future is here as far as coming back. I think they will be back. I hope it's an actual points race, a regular season race, and not just an all star event because I'd love to see a forty cup field, a uh, forty car field out there. Um, and I think they just did an incredible job. Like, to- but even if it's not Dawson, mm-hmm. and, sorry to interrupt. But, but even if they don't, even if they can just have a race there, it honors the history, it honors the past, it's great nostalgia, and it's just great to see. So, like, even I agree with you. I'd love to see it be a points race. Mm-hmm. But even if it's not, and they just keep having a race there, I'm down for that. And, and we'll see. And, and I think there will be, in some shape or form, we'll see. They have NASCAR has some shuffling around with the schedule to do in general, so um, that's going to be up for grabs. But... I just thought it was a great job. They really It's so difficult to do, right, to, to, to keep the tradition and make it feel old-timey, but also bring it into the modern era where it you know, makes sense to host a major event, and they did that well. And finally, the Preakness was this weekend, and it was an emotional day for Bob Baffert as his horse won the Preakness Stakes, the second leg of the Triple Crown. National Treasure won it on Saturday. And it was Baffert's, the famed legendary Bob Baffert's, return to the Triple Crown Trail following a suspension. But it came hours after another three-year-old Colt was put down because of a left leg injury in an undercard race. And the victory at Pimlico Racecourse ended Mage's bid for the Triple Crown in a conflicting scene similar to that of two weeks earlier when he won the Kentucky Derby in the aftermath of seven horses passing away. National Treasure was the 5-2 second choice, held off the hard-charging, blazing sevens down the stretch to win the $1.65 million race by a head. And Bob Baffert back in the winner's circle yet again. We'll have no Triple Crown winner or even an attempt at winning the Triple Crown this year because of it. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up today's show, finalize that poll question of the day. That's all next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I want to take a moment to thank our lone guest on this Monday edition of RP3 and Company, Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio and the Louisiana Radio Network for joining us. We did have a poll question of the day. Final results. What was the craziest thing from this weekend? 48% of you say McNeese losing the way they did to Washington, giving up seven runs in the seventh inning to lose the Seattle Regional. 27% of you say the Raging Cajuns come back in Baton Rouge to take down LSU. 21% of you say Block's top 15 performance at the PGA Championship in Rochester, New York. And 4% of you say other. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all of you who also commented. We appreciate you making us part of what you do in the mornings. Oh man, what a great show. We covered everything. Regional softball, Previewed the college baseball tournaments a little bit. Talked Houston Astros, baseball, NBA playoffs, PGA championship. Oh, so much and so much more. And Dawson uh, got multiple times to somehow get Florida State inserted into the show, even though it wasn't on the rundown. Bravo to that. (laughs) We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on the game.